The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus began speaking in the synagogue, saying, Today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke highly of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They also asked, Isn't this the son of Joseph? He said to them, Surely you will quote me this proverb, Physician, cure yourself, and say, Do here in your native place the things that we heard were done in Capernaum. And he said, Amen, I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but only to a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Again, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built to hurl him down headlong. But Jesus passed through the midst of them and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We really have some beautiful readings today. The first reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah is one I'm sure most of you are somewhat familiar with anyway. Chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you. A prophet to the nations, I appointed you. How beautiful that the Lord assures us that he knows us that intimately. It speaks to God's great plans for each and every one of us. As mysterious as they may be at times, as incomprehensible as they may be at times, God knows each and every one of us. I like to, well, I should ask the question because I haven't asked it here before. How many of you are coffee fans? Okay, coffee, yes. How about scotch? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> I like to say that each and every one of us is a, is a unique blend of truth, goodness, and beauty. How about that? Each and every one of us is a unique reflection of God. We all reflect the goodness and the truth and the beauty of God in a unique way. And that's why when God looks at us, he gets so excited. He delights in each and every one of us in a unique way because he knows that there's nobody like you who reflects him the way you do. I think that's something that we all need to try to take to heart. Because it also speaks to our dignity, our intrinsic dignity. So before we do anything, 
God loves us for who we are. And we all need to know that. That's important. And then, it skips a few verses. It jumps to verses 17 to 19. And I won't reread the whole thing, but this part I love. For it is I, the Lord speaking now, this day who have made you a fortified city, a pillar of iron, a wall of brass. I love to picture that. Just, what does a wall of brass look like? I mean, you just picture like a six-foot-thick wall of brass and try to penetrate that. But it's the Lord who does it. The Lord is doing it for Jeremiah and, and for Israel. They will fight against you, but not prevail over you. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. We all need to be delivered. Delivered from what? Well, from the effects of sin, number one. We all need to be saved from sin and the effects of sin, which ultimately is death. So we all need to be delivered from death into life, eternal life. And so that's what the Lord is assuring us of here through Jeremiah today, just giving us a lot of confidence in all of the challenges that we're going to have to face. And it doesn't always seem like we come out on top, that's for sure. Sometimes it feels like we lose, that we fail. But even in those failures, even in those losses, even in death, what the Lord is saying is that I'm with you even there, and I will deliver you even in those places, or from those places that perhaps you think are, are hopeless and desperate. And then in our second reading from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, a classic, I imagine many of you had it read at your weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. And so on and so forth. So I like to highlight in this definition of love the fact that Paul uses that word patient right off the bat. Because the word patient comes from the word patio in Latin. And you know what patio means? To suffer. Yeah. <laughs> to suffer. So love knows how to suffer. Right? And if you've been married for any length of time, right, you know that you have to learn how to suffer one another. Right? They used to have that expression in English. I don't think it's so popular anymore. Right? But will you suffer me? Right? Will you be patient with me? That's literally what it means. So Paul, right off the bat, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying that love knows how to suffer. And that's oftentimes, oftentimes it's a passive thing. <clears throat> because Christ's passion comes from that same word. The word passion, in this context, comes from the same Latin root, to suffer. Well, obviously, he suffered. But it happened to him. So it was received. It was a passive thing, right? And sometimes we protest the things that happen to us. 
understandably. But even in those things that we don't have control over, God is saying that he still loves us there. And that our enduring them, our suffering them, is not in vain. It's not in vain. We may not choose it, but how many of you choose to suffer the things that you do? And it's, I know we used to say, just offer it up, right? Maybe some of you still say that. But when someone says it to you, it's not very comforting, is it? <laughs> ah, just offer it up. Excuse me? Right? So there's more to that. Because Jesus really wants to suffer with us. It's not that he just suffered for us, because he did, but he wanted to suffer with us. So we say that he is a compassionate high priest in the letter to the Hebrews. So if passion means to suffer, what does compassion with? Compassion literally mean to suffer with. To suffer with. By becoming a baby, by becoming one of us, he was entering into our neediness, our suffering. And he was saying, I will relate to you and with you in all that it means to be human now. In this fallen world, in this broken world that needs redemption, that I've come to redeem, I will enter into all of that which needs to be redeemed. I won't excuse myself from it. I will enter into it freely, willingly, lovingly. I will enter into it to be there with you. So we're not alone. We're not alone in our suffering. And then it goes on to say that love never fails. And that at the end of the day, faith, hope, and love remain these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why is that? I highlight this at every funeral that I preach. In heaven, you don't need faith anymore, right? Because that which you had to believe in is seen. You don't need hope anymore because that which you hoped for is realized. So what's the one thing that remains? Love. Love is the thing that brought you into existence. God's love for you is what brought you into existence. And it's what saved you. And it's what will welcome you at the end of your life in the Father's house. God wants us all to come home. But we don't even have to wait to get to heaven, as I like to say. Because what's going to happen here in a few minutes what do we believe? That heaven comes down onto this altar. That God comes down, not just onto the altar, but into your heart. He lets you eat him. He lets you consume him in the Eucharist, in Holy Communion. So you don't have to get to heaven. Heaven comes to you. God takes the initiative to come to us every day in spirit and in truth and in sacrament. Really, truly, substantially present here. 
And he comes not to chastise you, not to judge you or criticize you, but to love you, to support you, to affirm you, to build you up, to encourage you, to reassure you of his presence in all things. In all things. And I would just close by saying that in our gospel, Jesus wanted to do good things for his, for his homies, for his friends and neighbors that he grew up with in Nazareth. But they just couldn't believe it. Who does this guy think he is? I mean, we know who his mom and dad are. I mean, he's Jesus. Where does he get off saying that this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing today? And then he makes reference to these two Old Testament stories involving foreigners. And they took offense at that. And so they literally wanted to throw him off the brow of the hill, it says. I think sometimes we struggle with accepting this love of God for various reasons. Oftentimes, I don't think we do it intentionally. But we have a hard time receiving. Our image of God can get distorted. That's for sure. I know I've had to wrestle with that throughout my lifetime. My image of God has needed to be decontaminated, you might say. And so the Lord is very patient even in that. But that's why I'll just jump back to the second reading. Paul says, we know partially and we prophesy partially. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I used to talk as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. At present, we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. At present, I know partially. We all know partially now. We know God partially now. We don't get to see him face to face. Then I shall know him fully as I am fully known. So it comes full circle. At the beginning of our lives, when we're conceived in our mother's womb, God knows us. We don't know him yet. And God assures us that at the end of our lives, he still knows us. He still loves us. And we will then know him fully as we are known. We will share in that exchange of love that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit share in for all eternity. So let's pray tonight that as we receive him, that we can get to know him a little bit better. And that by his grace, his power, and his presence, his love, we would be transformed more and more. Knowing that we are known, that we are loved, that we're appreciated, that we're delighted in. And that he does have a good plan for each and every one of us here. Amen.